This is Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. Episode 22, Chapter 22, Salvation and the Holy Relationship. Welcome back. My email is trifectanow3 at gmail.com. The holy relationship has no flaws, is comprised of no bargaining, no compromise, and no need to challenge anyone. We need none of it because when we see one another as a whole, none of that matters anymore. We don't understand one another, so we decided one must be right and one must be wrong. Our perceptions have molded who we think we are, and this has accomplished only loneliness and separateness. On page 467, uh, which starts the chapter, the introduction, I wrote uh, on page 467, I wrote, Holy relationships ask nothing of one another, nor does it take anything. It simply means existing in the moment, accepting what and who you are in this moment. Nothing more, nothing less. This is where the belief in differences becomes undone. Paragraph 1, sentence 4 says, Sin is a strictly individual perception, seen in the other but yet believed by each to be within himself. And each one seems to make a different error and one the other cannot understand. Brother, it is the same, made by the same and forgiven for its maker in the same way. The holiness of your relationship forgives you and your brother, undoing the effects of what you both believed and saw. And with their going is the need for sin gone with them. Paragraph two says, who need, who has need for sin? Only the lonely and alone who see their brothers different from themselves. It is this difference, seen but not real, that makes the need for sin not real but seen. Seem justified. And all this would be real if sin were so. For an unholy relationship is based on differences, where each one thinks the other has what he has not. They come together, each to complete himself and rob the other. They stay until they think that there is nothing left to steal, and they move on. And so they wander through a world of strangers, unlike themselves, living with their bodies perhaps under a common roof that shelters neither in the same room and yet a world apart. Paragraph 3. A holy relationship starts from a different premise. Each one has looked within and seen no lack. Accepting his completion, he would extend it by joining with another whole as himself. He would extend it by joining with another. Oh, sorry. He sees no difference between these selves, for differences are only of the body. Therefore, he looks on nothing he would take. Paragraph four at the bottom says, Think what a holy relationship can teach. Here is belief in differences undone. Here is the faith in differences shifted to sameness. And here is sight of differences transformed to vision. Next page, which is page 468. At the bottom of um, that section, paragraph, sorry, sentence nine says, here is the golden circle where you recognize the son of God. For what is born into a holy relationship can never end. The next part on page 468 is called the message of the holy relationship. I wrote 
The message of the holy relationship is to deny who you are and believe you are something else. Believe you are something more than this. Believe you were created for something more than this. Have a firm belief that you came here to be something more than what you chose. Free will allows us to choose differently at any point in time and eternity. We can shift in an instant from an unholy relationship to a holy one. It does not require anyone's assistance or agreement. It is totally up to you. Paragraph one says, let reason take another step. If you attack whom God would heal and hate the one he loves, sorry, if you attack whom God would heal and hate the one he loves, then you and your creator have a different will. Yet if you are his will, what you must then believe is that you are not yourself. Paragraph two says, yet we have heard a very similar description earlier, but it was not of you. But still this strange idea, which it does accurately describe, you think is you. Reason would tell you that the world you see through eyes that are not yours must make no sense to you. To whom would seeing such as this send back its messages? Surely not you, whose sight is wholly dependent on the eyes that look upon the world. Paragraph 3, sentence 4 says, Think then what happens. Denying what you are and firm in faith that you are something else, this something else that you have made to be yourself becomes your sight. Yet, next page, page 469, yet it must be that something else that sees and as not you explains its sight to you. Your vision would, of course, render this quite unnecessary. Yet if your eyes are closed and you have called upon this thing to lead you, asking it to explain to you the world it sees, you have no reason not to listen, nor to suspect that what it tells you is not true. Reason would tell you it cannot be true because you do not understand it. God has no secrets. He does not lead you through a world of misery, waiting to tell you at the end, journey's end why he did this to you. <laughs> Paragraph 4, sentence 3 says, What could your secrets be except another will that is your own apart from his? Sentence 10 in that same paragraph says, here is the one emotion that keeps you blind, dependent on the self you think you made to lead you through the world it made for you. Paragraph 5, sentence 2 says, you will perceive no difficulties in understanding what this vision tells you, for everyone sees only what he thinks he is. Paragraph 6 says, of all the messages you have received and failed to understand, this course alone is open to your understanding and can be understood. This is your language. You do not understand it yet only because your whole communication is like a baby's. The sounds a baby makes and what he hears are highly unreliable, meaning different things to him at different times. Next page, page 470. Paragraph 7 says, So in each holy relationship is the ability to communicate instead of of separate reborn. Paragraph 8 says, Think what is given you, my holy brother. This child will teach you what you do not understand and make it plain. For his will for his will be no alien tongue. He will need no interpreter to you, 
for it was you who taught him what he knows because you knew it. Paragraph, uh, sorry, sentence six in that same paragraph says, where Christ has entered, no one is alone, for never could he find a home in separate oneness. Yet must he be reborn into his ancient home, so seeming new and yet as old as he, a tiny newcomer dependent on the holiness of your relationship to let him live. Paragraph 9 says, Be certain God did not entrust his son to the unworthy. Nothing but what is part of him is worthy of being joined. Nor is it possible that anything not part of him can join. Communication must have been restored to those who joined, for this they could not do through bodies. Sentence 8 in that same paragraph says, Rather in each other saw a perfect shelter where his self could be reborn in safety and in peace. Such did his reason tell him, such he believed because it was the truth. Paragraph 10, sentence 4 says, Think what the instant brought the recognition that the something else you thought was you is an illusion. And truth came instantly to show you where yourself must be. It is denial of illusions that calls on truth, for to deny illusions is to recognize that fear is meaningless. And then on the next page, paragraph 11, sentence 7 says, You are indeed correct in looking on your brother as his chosen home, for here you will you will with him and with his father. There's a lot of wills in here, and I have to establish what will they mean. The next part on page 471 is your brother's sinlessness. I wrote, it is important that you see yourself separate from your ego. Maybe you are still guided by it, but if you are aware of it, that is the first step of separating from it. Until you, until you acknowledge the difference between your ego and your true self, it will be impossible for you to release your brothers and sisters from all the wrongs the ego feels they have done to you. Paragraph 1 says, the opposite of illusion is not disillusionment, but truth. Paragraph 2 says, truth is the opposite of illusions because it offers joy. What else but joy could be opposite of misery? To leave one kind of misery and seek another is hardly an escape. To change illusions is to make no change. The search for joy in misery is senseless, for how could joy be found in misery? Paragraph 3, sentence 3 says, no form of misery is in reason's eyes, can be confused with joy. Joy is eternal. You can be sure indeed that any seeming happiness that does not last is really fear. Joy does not turn to sorrow, for eternal cannot change. But sorrow can be turned to, next page, page 472, joy, for time gives way to the eternal. Paragraph 4 says, reason will tell you that the only way to escape from misery is to recognize it and go the other way. Truth is the same and misery the same, but they are different from each other in every way, in every instant, and without exception. Paragraph 5 says, both reason and ego will tell you this, but what they made, sorry, but what they make of it is not the same. Sentence 4 says, yet reason looks on this another way. For reason sees the source of an idea as what will make it either true or false. This must be so if the idea is like its source. Paragraph 6 says, This is a crucial period in this course, for here the separation of you and the ego must be complete. For if you have the means 
to let the Holy Spirit's purpose be accomplished, they can be used, and through their use will you gain faith in them. Yet, to the ego, this must be impossible, and no one undertakes to do what holds no hope of ever being undone. Paragraph 7, sentence 4, on the top of page 473, says, This course will be believed entirely or not at all, for it is wholly true or wholly false, and cannot be partially believed. And you will either escape from misery entirely or not at all. Reason will tell you that there is no middle ground where you can pause uncertainly, waiting to choose between joy of heaven and the misery of hell. Until you choose heaven, you are in hell and misery. Paragraph 8 says, There is no part of heaven you can take and weave into illusions, nor is there one illusion you can enter heaven with. A savior cannot be a judge, nor mercy condemnation, and vision cannot condemn, but only bless. Paragraph 10, sentence 5 says, And all the misery you made has been your own. Are you not glad to learn it is not true? It is not welcome news to hear. Not one of the illusions that you made replaced the truth. Paragraph 11 says, Only your thoughts have been impossible. On the next page, page 474, paragraph 12 says, Beyond the body, that you interpose between you and your brother and shining in the golden light that reaches it from the bright endless circle that extends forever is your holy relationship, beloved of God himself. How still it rests in time and yet beyond immortal yet on earth. How great the power that lies in time, in it, sorry, in it. Time waits upon its will and earth will be as it would have it be. Here is no separate will, nor the desire that anything be separate. Sentence 7 says, Every illusion brought to its forgiveness is gently overlooked and disappears. The next section at the bottom of page 474 is called Reason and the Forms of Error. I wrote, Reason is what will help you see the ego for what it really is. Reason will tell you that it is true and what is the ego's truth? Our body's eyes can only see form. It's the ego that places value and belief in that form. Reason points to what a holy relationship really is. A common state of mind. Paragraph 1 says, The introduction of reason into the ego's thought system is the beginning of its undoing. For reason and the ego are contradictory. Nor is it possible for them to coexist in your awareness. For reason's goal is to make plain and therefore obvious. You can see reason. This is not a play on words. For here is the beginning of a vision that has meaning. Vision is sense, quite literally. If it is not the body's sight, it must be understood. For it is plain and what is obvious is not ambiguous. It can be understood. And here do reason and ego separate to go their separate ways. On the next page, on page 475, uh, paragraph 2, sentence 4, reason can see the differences between sin and mistakes because it wants correction. Therefore, it tells you what you thought was incorrectable can be corrected, and thus it must have been an error. Paragraph 4 says, only the form of error only the form of error attracts the ego, meaning it does not recognize and does not see it 
is there or not. Everything the body's eyes can see is a mistake, an error in perception, a distorted fragment of the whole without the meaning of the whole, without the meaning that the whole would give. Paragraph five says reason will tell you that form of error is not what makes it a mistake. If what the form conceals is a mistake, the form cannot prevent correction. The body's eyes see only form. They cannot see beyond what they were made to see, and they were made to look on error and not see past it. Page 476. Um, at the top of the page, sentence 7 says, Nothing so blinding as perception of form, for sight of form means understanding has been obscured. Paragraph 8 says, Let not the form of his mistakes keep you from him whose holiness is yours. Let not the vision of his holiness, the sight of which would show you your forgiveness, be kept from you by what the body's eyes can see. Uh, paragraph 9 at the very bottom says, A holy relationship, however newly born, must value holiness above all else. Unholy values will produce confusion and in awareness. In an unholy relationship, each one is valued because he seems to justify the other's sin. Each sees within the other what impels him to sin against his will, and thus he lays his sin upon the other and is attracted to him to perpetuate his sins. And so it must become impossible for each to see himself as causing sin by his desire to have real sin. The next part on page 477 is called The Branching of the Road. I wrote, this book has led you to a place of choice. It is like a branching of the road. What will you choose? The way you have always gone, but now know is fraught with errors and mistakes. Now that little voice in your head is louder and more persistent. It is telling you what not to do now. It is questioning your comments, your judgments, and your negativity towards others. Or choose the other way, where you enter holy relationships with everyone in your life, old and new. You live in this moment and keep your thoughts from wandering to the past or into the future. Here you accept everyone as one with you in unity with our creator. It's your choice. Which way will you go? Paragraph one is the only paragraph I actually... Um, Paragraph one and part of paragraph two are the only thing I highlighted on this, this section. And it starts with, when you come to the place where the branches in the road is quite apparent, you cannot go ahead. You must go either one way or the other. For now, if you go straight ahead, the way you went before you reached the branch, you will go nowhere. The whole purpose of coming this far was to decide which branch you will take now. The way you came no longer matters. It can no longer serve. No one who reaches this far can make the wrong decision, although he can delay. And there is no part of the journey that seems more hopeless and futile than standing where the road branches and not deciding which way to go. Paragraph 2 says, It is but the first few steps along the right way that seems hard. For you have chosen, although you still may think you can go back and make the other choice, this is not so. A choice made with the power of heaven to uphold, it cannot be undone. Your way is decided. There will be nothing you will not be told if you acknowledge this. On the next page, 478, at the bottom says starts with, 
Weakness and defensiveness. I wrote on the next page when I turn it, you are not weak and you need no defense. Only your illusions do. Paragraph one says, how does one overcome illusions? Surely not by force or anger, nor by opposing them in any way. Merely by letting reason tell you that they contradict reality. They go against what must be true. The opposition comes from them and not reality. Reality opposes nothing. What merely is needs no what merely is needs no defense and offers none. Sentence ten at the bottom says, You are strong. One you are the strong one in this seeming conflict, and you need no defense. Everything that needs defense you do not want, for anything that needs defense will weaken you. That's moved to page four seventy nine top. Paragraph 3, sentence 8 says, God rests with you in quiet, undefended, and wholly undefending, for in this quiet state alone is strength and power. Here can no weakness enter, for here is no attack and therefore no illusions. Love rests in certainty. Only uncertainty can be defensive. And all uncertainty is doubt about yourself. Paragraph 5 at the bottom says, If you but recognize how little stands between you and your awareness of your union with your brothers... Be not deceived by the illusions it presents of size and thickness, weight, solidity, solidity, sorry, and firmness of foundation. Yes, to the body's eyes, it looks like an enormous solid, solid body, immovable as is a mountain. Yet within you is a force that no illusions can resist. The next page, which is page 480. In paragraph six says, forget not when you feel the need to arise to be defensive about anything, you have identified yourself as an illusion and therefore feel that you are weak because you are alone. This is the cost of all illusion. The next section on that same page, page 480, is the light of the holy relationship. I wrote, let the light in, let the light in, and your holy relationship will need no assistance from you. It is in the light that we remove all our fears and open our hearts in forgiveness and peace. You have all the help and the assistance you will need, only for the asking. Paragraph one says, do not, do you not, sorry, can't read. Do you want freedom of the body or of the mind? For both you cannot have. Which do you value? Which is your goal? For one you see as means and the other end. And one must serve the other and lead to its predominance, increasing its importance by diminishing its own. Means serves the end, and as the end is reached, the value of the means decreases, eclipsed entirely when they are recognized as functionless. No one yet yearns for freedom and tries to find it, yet he will seek for it where he believes it is, it can be found. He will believe it possible of mind or body, and he will make the other serve his choice as means to find it. On the next page, page 481, paragraph 5 says, Before a holy relationship there is no sin. The form of error is no longer seen, and, joy and reason, joined with love, looks quietly on all confusion observed merely. This is a mistake. And then the same atonement you accept in your relationship corrects the error and lays a part of heaven in its place. Paragraph 7 at the bottom says, When you have looked upon your brother with complete, that's four, on page 41, then go to 482, forgiveness, from which no error is excluded and nothing kept hidden, 
What mistake can there be anywhere you cannot overlook? What form of suffering would block your sight, preventing it from seeing past it? Paragraph 8, sentence 7 says, Accept this one and serve it willingly, for what the Holy Spirit does with gifts you give your brother to whom he offers them and where and when is up to him. He will bestow them where they are received and welcome. He will use every one of them for good. And, and then go to page, so I skip page 483, I'm sorry, the very page, bottom of page 43, paragraph 14 says, this is the function of the holy relationship. For what one, then go to page 484, thinks and the other will experience with them. What can this mean except your mind and your brothers are one? Look not with fear upon this happy fact, and think not that it lays a heavy burden on you. For when you have accepted it with gladness, you will realize that relationship is a reflection of the union of the Creator and the Son. From loving minds there is no separation, and every thought in one brings gladness to the other because they are the same. Joy is unlimited because each shining thought of love extends its being and creates more of itself. There is no difference anywhere in it, for every thought is like itself. This is the end of chapter 22 of Course in Miracles. When we choose to let go of the past and of our future expectations of one another, sorry, that's a question. When will we choose to let go of the past and our future expectations of one another? When will we set ourselves free of the burdens we place upon ourselves? When will we, we accept that there is no differences between us and our oneness is what makes us whole? I love that the answer is right now. We can, by choice, choose to do this right in the here and now. We have no sane reason to delay it further. A holy relationship can start today. Choose one person to do this with, then choose another, then another, then another. This is our journey. Keep finding your way. Have a love-filled week, and until next week, always love.